Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, April fourth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have highlighted more than 110 poets from nine countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do this with your support. You can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com/donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. In addition, we have also launched the Pam Poetry Project in collaboration with District Four Poetry. You can find out more information about that at poetsandmuses.com/events. With us today is Kelly Van Nelson, with whom we will be discussing her poem. Subjugated to liberated, and my poem Balance Point. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of April fifth. On Monday, April fifth, from eight fifteen p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting its weekly open mic. You can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl/poundsignevents. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl/poundsignevents. From 7:30 to 8:30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Word Works, the Writer Center, and Poet Lore will be hosting their Cafe Muse, featuring Marguerite Little and Joseph Ross. You can find out more information at writer.org/reading-events. Again, that's writer.org. Forward slash reading hyphen events from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 to 8:30 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Meditation Monday Writing Workshop with Alex Petunia. You can find out more information at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. Again, that's at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. On Tuesday, April sixth, from three to five p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of thirteen and twenty-three. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org/firstdraft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org/firstdraft. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Dirty open mic via Instagram Live at poets_playground_underscore. Again, that's poets_playground_underscore. On Wednesday, April seventh, from six p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com/workshops.html. 
Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Fordham University's Poetic Justice Institute, in partnership with Fordham College at Lincoln Center's Dean's Office, the Axe Houston Foundation, Kaveh Kanam Kundeman, and the Ampersand and the Comma will be hosting All That You Touch, You Change Poetry Festival featuring Jose Philip Elvergue, Tamiko Bayer, Chen Chen, Esbrook Korfman, Carolyn Forche, and Aracelis Germain. You can find out more information at caveconumpoets.org forward slash events. Again, that's caveconumpoets.org forward slash event. From 5 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab will be hosting the sixth of their A session, A Poetic Envisioning of Our Collective Future with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash aajil.org. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash aajil.org. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. On Thursday, April 8th, from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Asian American Writers Workshop in collaboration and partnership with Brooklyn Poet Laureate Tina Chan and the Penn American Literary Action Coalition will be hosting their Women Warriors, a Solidarity Reading, featuring many Asian American poets and writers. You can find out more information at aaww.org forward slash events. Again, that's aaww.org forward slash events. From 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Museum of the African Diaspora will be hosting their open mic night featuring Daniel B. Summerhill. You can find out more information at moadsf.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's moadsf.org forward slash calendar. From 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting Lynn Thompson and Friends, a celebration of LA's new poet laureate featuring Hiram Sims, Gali Ronsky, and Mariano Zaro. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. On Friday, April 9th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their weekly Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by messaging the host Andrina Leanne at survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. Again, that's 
survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A, and Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West African time, Bassiano and Warren will be hosting Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warren. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. On Saturday, April 10th, from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Poetry Passport will be hosting their writer's workshop with the theme of attachments. You can find out more information on Instagram at the Poetry Passport. Again, that's on Instagram at the Poetry Passport. From 12 to 1 p.m. Central Daylight Time, The Porch will be hosting the first of their three Manifest Your Poetic Voice for Tennessee Teens. You can find out more information at porchtn.org forward slash programs forward slash youth. Again, that's porchtn.org forward slash programs forward slash youth. From 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, The Root Slam will be hosting their virtual writing workshop for Black writers 18 and up only. You can find out more information and register at rootslam.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's rootslam.org forward slash calendar. From 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Pam Poetry Project will be hosting our themed open mic. For those who have already registered via Eventbrite, please remember to send a portion of your poem demonstrating the theme to the Poets and Muses Instagram. Again, that's the Poets and Muses Instagram. For those who haven't registered, you can find out more information at p3openmics.eventbrite.com. Again, that's p3openmics.eventbrite.com. From 1 to 2.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Chinese Cultural Center of San Francisco, Two Languages, One Community, and the Museum of the African Diaspora will be hosting Artists Against Anti-Asian Violence, a bilingual poetry and music event featuring Maxine Hong Kingston, Jenny Lim, Michael War, Afa Weaver, L. Young, Chung Yu, Tammy L. Hall, and Arne Jane Ann Wong. You can find out more information at moatsf.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's moatsf.org forward slash calendar. From 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Writer's Center will be hosting their Station to Station Plume at the Writer's Center Session 3, featuring Diane Seuss and James Allen Hall, moderated by Nancy Mitchell. You can find out more information at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Kaveh Kanam Poets will be hosting their Every Shining Gift, a birthday celebration of Toy Derricott, featuring Mahogany L. Brown, Camoni Felix, Joanne V. Gobbin, Amanda Johnston, and Evie Shockley. 
You can find out more information and register at caveconumpoets.org forward slash event. Again, that's caveconumpoets.org forward slash event. On Sunday, April 11th, from 4.45 to 7 p.m. British time, Andrina and GJ will be hosting their Adult Survivors Open Mic. You can find out more information at Adult Survivors Open Mic on Instagram. Again, that's at Adult Survivors Open Mic on Instagram. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting Carlos A. Aguilera, Life Reading with University of Pittsburgh's Department of Hispanic Languages and Literatures. You can find out more information and register at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Kelly Van Nelson. Hi, Kelly. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. So you brought with you your poem, Subjugated to Liberated. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I was born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK and raised very much in a working-class environment in a sort of single-parent home and quite quite a challenging childhood for, for many reasons at home. And at school, much the same. I was the, We moved around a little bit and I was a new girl in high school and bullied for quite a long time. Uh, by a group of girls. So I, I had this challenging childhood at home. I had a challenging childhood at school. And I guess that was the sort of platform that I moved forward into adult life from and gained. I, I, I always say it was the thing that gave me resilience and made me the, you know, at the heart of who I am today. And I, I became super driven. I wanted to create a better life and a different life for myself. So I left there pretty early, moved, moved to London, and have subsequently moved around the world since then, mm. sort of self-educated myself. I left school at 16, so self-educated myself, and moved into two areas. One would be the corporate world. I'm uh, today the managing director of ADECO Australia, which is mm. part of a Fortune 500 enormous sort of global workforce solutions provider. So I have a corporate hat during the day. And I'm also a writer of contemporary fiction and contemporary poetry, always around topics that I deeply care about in current society around social issues. And I'm a huge advocate for change in society about the things I really care about. Mm. And I, I tend to use poetry as a vehicle to do that. Mm. I'm a mum, a mum of two teenagers. I've travelled around a fair bit, and today I am in um, Sydney, Australia, so feeling very fortunate mm. about where I've landed in life. Yeah. yeah, that's a little little snapshot. That's wonderful. Thank you for telling us a bit about yourself. Can you tell us when did you get into poetry? I have been writing poetry for as long as I can remember, to be honest. I mean, as a child, I was a huge reader, you know, always reading under the duvet with a torch and... Yeah. There was always a lot of arguments in our house at home. 
mum's been married four times so there was different stepfathers over the years and my, my own father passed away very young in his 40s mm. so our house was always quite turbulent and you know a lot of sort of um, as I say uh, arguments and things going on mm. I used to bury my my head in books and I, I think that then stemmed from an early age into writing in earnest in my 20s uh, I definitely started writing a lot trying to work on novels, trying working on poems, mm. really just trying to, I don't know, use writing as a way to deal with life's complexities, but in a serious way where I, you know, really started getting work published and started to get traction with my work out in the public domain. That was only in my 30s and uh, probably only in a huge way, in a viral way in the last three years. Mm. So it's been a life journey from, I, I would say, being a teenager to, to now it's been a, a, a journey of writing but it's always been there it's always been part of life and my my, my uh, high school friends uh, at the age of 13 they can remember me saying I'm gonna write a book I was always adamant from about the age of 13 that I was gonna write a book so I, I must have always had the ambition there to become a writer of sorts right yeah, yeah. and well it's wonderful that you actually did realize your dream and have become mm. quite well known for it too. Yeah, for sure. I'm one of these people. I definitely go for tangible steps to achieve dreams. I often coach youths and things and say to them, a, a dream is only a dream if you don't do something about it. Right. And it, it can become your reality if you just take baby steps and if you, you know, really set yourself some goals that are achievable. You you can actually get there to convert that dream into something mm. that becomes your reality and. That's sort of how I live life. I just go for it and don't hold back. And I, I don't tend to take an obstacle as a setback. I find ways to then navigate around it or over it or under it and find ways to get to where I, I really want to get to. Mm. Mm. Well, that's wonderful. And I'm glad you are able to pass that lesson on to the youth that you work with, because I think for a lot of people, especially with the prevalence of celebrity culture, it's very difficult for people to see behind the scene and how much work everybody puts in in order to get to the place they get to. Yeah, for sure. I love working with youths. I think because of the childhood, I, I tend to resonate with them and I tend to use poetry and my contemporary gritty sort of raw style to connect with them in an unusual way and you know, work with them in unusual ways. So I, I do love giving them a sense of hope and a sense of, you know, purpose and intent. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's something I'm super passionate about. Wonderful. Um, do you happen to remember what your first poem was about? I don't remember the little ones that I probably played about with as a, as a, a really young child, but I've got two that are in my sort of always in my mind is my earliest poems and one of them I do on the slam circuit a little bit it's about my youth and uh, it's called Miners of the North Newcastle upon Tyne in my childhood where it was a place of you know coal mines closing and picket lines and strikes and unions mm. and it was Margaret Thatcher's era she was ruling the country when I was a, a young girl it brought poverty to the area and unemployment to the area. And at the top of my street, I lived in a council area, you know, sort of, mm. um, you know, very 
bleak and concrete environment. Mm. And at the very top of my street, I used to walk to school as a very young girl with my sister. And we would walk past a derelict coal mine that was boarded up across the front. It had closed down and the entrance, mm. the boards over the front of it were covered in graffiti. And I always looked at it and I always was fascinated about what had happened to people who'd worked in there and what had become of people who used to work there. I always looked at the colours of the graffiti and it used to change all the time as well. Mm. You know, and I was just fascinated and my eye was always drawn to this derelict coal mine. And my my very first poem that I remember writing, it's it's just a complete rhyming poem. I don't always do a lot of rhyme work. I do a lot of free flow and, and, Mm. and different styles, but... This poem, it's got a real beat to it, and it's quite long, but it, but it is around miners of the north and what became of them, and their voices were lost, and you know they never really stood a chance. Uh, and that one, uh, it, it it has now been published in my my first book, but it was the one that really sticks with me, and that I still do today on uh, on the open mic. And then the second one, it was the first one that was ever published. It's called Repudiated Miracle around losing a child and grief and heartache. Mm. It just came from a place I I had my children. I wouldn't say late. I had my children in my late 20s, but I had been trying to have a child for a while. And it it came from that place of, you know, having a child and and sort of uh, grief of losing a child. Mm. It was the first one published. So, So they stick in my mind one that I'm super passionate about, about the northeast of England, you know, working class environment. And the second is just the one that was published. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other two that, that stick with me as sort of very early elementary work. But but I particularly love Miners of the North. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear at some point, mm-hmm. hopefully, if I see you at another open mic, you will read it again. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it seems like from what you've described that you've basically you have engaged with social issues pretty early since a young age. And it's been consistent in your work, it seems. Yeah, it definitely has. In fact, my first poetry book, which was published early last year, it's called Graffiti Lane. Mm -hmm. Um, The cover of the book is taken from a photograph in the Melbourne lanes on Hosier Lane, which is a very famous alleyway of Melbourne that's a graffiti zone and it's an approved graffiti zone so the council allow people to come in and create their murals and things on this particular lane of Melbourne and it's beautiful it it also changes all the time and you've had everyone from Banksy to you know really famous street street artists put their work on the walls there Uh, and it took more than 900 photographs to get the cover shot of uh, what's now on the cover of graffiti lane and the theme runs through it around People see graffiti sometimes as vandalism and others see it as art and, you know, sometimes there's everything in between. And I love that as well. I love the contrasts of life. You know, what might be on the surface isn't always what, what's actually happening there. And a lot of street artists are trying, much like poets, to get their message out there and have their underlying messages in life heard. And I'm not advocating vandalism in my book or in my work at all. It's not that part of graffiti that I I focus on. It's the creativity and the passion and the spreading of the word and through art, whatever that art form is, in getting messages out there that are meaningful and do think a a lot of graffiti, like poetry, can have a lot of those political or social messages or, Mm. you know, passionate themes running through the artwork. So... Yeah, it's always been there. And Miners of the North appeared in that book, actually. And there's a few of the poems have this sort of, you know, I'm playing with the uh, idea of graffiti and what it can mean. 
right. uh, to and and how it can be a contrast, you know, between vandalism and art and, and things like that. So, yeah. yeah, it's always been there, always been there. My my favorite movie is Billy Elliot. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but that almost yeah. encapsulates my childhood. Oh wow! <laughs> well, now I'm gonna have to see it because I haven't seen it yet. I, I've heard wonderful mm. things about it, but there's just so many wonderful movies. And I <laughs> since st mm. starting this podcast, I've had no time. I've had no life. So and also this yeah. year, this year nobody's had any lives. <laughs> This is very true. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Unusual, yeah. <laughs> I've been to mm. the uh, graffiti lane, and it's it's really beautiful. There are many different mm. neighborhoods in Melbourne that's beautiful, the, the graffiti art. And I've seen graffiti art in other places as well, especially poverty-written places. I feel like the walls, the concrete, is the only canvas that people have or can mm. afford to have that outlet is incredibly important and for i guess people who are in charge or quote unquote in charge to realize that and to preserve that i think in a way is a recognition of that voice and in a way is also a recognition of the strength of the movement mm. i definitely resonate with what you say there and when i um, also was a girl that the area we lived in as I say there was there was no not really even any parks or you know green grass or sort of nature around it was you know really heavy working class zone and it was just gray concrete every house was sort of rough cast ha you know council government housing mm. that's what is your environment mm. and today when I sort of look around society and life I still find beauty in some ordinary things like the beauty in a fluorescent light or the beauty in you know a, a brick wall or you know you know something like that and I, and I look for those things and I try and really embrace you know what comes with different demographics and different environments and different you know it doesn't always have to be you know the picture perfect postcard scene to be beautiful yeah. And I, I loved, again, talking to youths in underprivileged homes or areas around finding the beauty in what you have and finding your strengths and finding what makes you really joyful in what you do. And then, you know, expanding off the back of that in whatever environment that you, know, you live in yeah. and that you, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and you can, you know, find joy in the most unusual places and things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a sign of resilience as well, right? Because, mm. you know, when, especially, you know, in the 80s and whatnot, and, well, even before, obviously, when people did not understand what greenery really means, how that affects people psychologically. Mm. Not to be able to see that, to, to live in council flats. I've actually lived in a couple of council flats in London. And so have a little bit of that experience of what that can be like. Even the ones that are well designed, you know, designed beautifully, meant to be beautiful. But sometimes, uh, I guess, we, there's no sense of cohesion uh, in some ways. And so people don't necessarily take care of those places and it becomes run down and the upkeep is not great. So when kids grow up in that environment, they will find any outlets for their creativity, as you did, go into books, go into fictional worlds to get away from the unpleasantness of your immediate environment. 
I think it's critical for us to recognize that and recognize that as also a root of creativity. Mm. Yeah, I always say it was my way of escaping reality. You know, writing was my way to channel negative energy and to switch off from what was going on around me when it was not, uh, you know, a happy place or a good place. And it was a way of finding peace and of dealing with stress. And and it still is today. It's my way of dealing with life. You know, whatever life brings each day, I'm always super busy. And, you know, there's a million things going on and there's things that you see happening in life that, you know, you're not happy with and that cause you to think about life in in different ways. And writing and and in particular poetry is a way for expression and for dealing with the good, the bad and the ugly in life. And it's why I love it. You've got no boundaries in poetry. You can really express yourself in the way that you mean it to to be expressed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I think this would be a good time for you to read your poem for us and then we can we can dive into it. Perfect. All right. So I've picked one today that is titled Subjugated to Liberated. Mm-hmm. And I'll read it first and then we can uh, have a chat about it. I'm not afraid of being hurt except when you tear my flesh with something harder than the back of your hand before you hold my subjugated palm in pretense of a better life. I'm not afraid of your wrath, except when I hear you come home with the smell of liquor on your breath, followed by the hollow promise of a better life. I'm not afraid of speaking out except when nobody will listen, because ears are not tuned to hear wishes whispered between the lines of a better life. I'm not afraid of the dark, of haunting nightmares consuming the soul, for they only appear in daylight at your whim and are replaced at night by my dreams of a better life. I'm not afraid of the light and the magnetism it holds when shining with blinding prospects and the brightest possibilities of a better life. I'm not afraid of the scars marring skin you cut so deeply, for they provide me with a visible benchmark guaranteed to be surpassed when I succumb to the inevitable allure of a better life. I'm not afraid of being alone of the place you banish me to, for this precious gift of time is when I plan for the optimistic future of a better life. I'm not afraid of crawling out of the hole you tossed me into and still guard with whiskers twitching at anyone who might want to stop by to say hello, assuming them a bigger predator than you, tempting me with cheese and the prize of a better life. I'm not afraid of the past, of the greed which consumed your soul in hunger so insatiable it took me by surprise, leaving my body ravaged and my mind starved, for I have found substance in the chance of a better life. I'm not afraid of today, opening my naive eyes to be present in the moment, for this is the only place where I truly exist in the void where I'm building foundations of a better life. I'm not afraid of the future. Embracing the excitement of the unknown blank canvas I will paint in rainbow colours when I claw my way out of this black abyss in liberated search of a better life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I love the repetition within each stanza. And if you take away all the different internal content of the stanza, the scent becomes, I'm not afraid of a better life. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people who have gone through abusive relationships, as this is 
describing, right, is that sometimes we're so used to the abuse that we're kind of afraid of a better life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do write a lot in my work about neglect and abuse and domestic violence and those sorts of topics. And I try and write in a way that is very simple. It's uh, without filter. And it's in a way that I, um, I don't know if I intentionally do it, but I I want it to be quite hard hitting Mm. and that you can read it once and you really feel the context of what's being said. And sometimes repetition can do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like playing a little bit with repetition. That's not necessarily rhyming repetition. So I'm not afraid it's repeated right throughout, but it's, I'm not afraid of being hurt or of your wrath or of speaking out or of the dark. You know, so I, I just like the simple techniques. Sometimes if I really am trying to drive home a particular message. And and in this poem I was, I was really aiming for a particular message, which was still that you can rise out of a situation and find your own hope, mm-hmm. even in the darkest of places. Right. That was what I was trying to sort of project here in this poem. I wrote this poem in response to a photograph so it was a it was something written with you know a visual picture in front of me that I was trying to write to Mm. I'm one of these sort of creative artists that I I don't like boundaries particularly Mm. I like to write freely about whatever I want to write about that day or in any given moment Mm. so to write to a theme or to a, a, a photograph is not always the easiest way for me for me to come out with my best creative work but but this one I did, there is a, a book comes out every year in Australia, which is, it's by the Western Australian Photography sort of Federation, and they search uh, for the top 20 photographs in the country from professional photographers on a theme, then they search for the top 20 pieces of writing, and it can be prose or poetry that match those 20 photographs. So you've got 20 photographs, 20 pieces of literary work, and they're sort of paired up. Mm. And the most beautiful, very high quality sort of coffee table book comes out every year. And and this was written last year and the book was, uh, the theme was broken. Mm -hmm. So you had to write about this theme broken. And and I selected one of the 20 photographs to write to, which was a very confronting picture. As soon as I saw it, I really felt deeply that I had to write a piece for that 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 image and and the image was very there were there were no faces in it it was the the image of the back of a man and he was facing somebody really crouching in a corner and really afraid mm-hmm. you know you could just but you couldn't see faces or anything it wasn't needed at all it was just this sort of domineering figure standing over a you know a a, a very afraid crouched down hunched up sort of figure Mm. I thought about this picture for ages. It stuck in my mind for ages, and, and then this poem sort of came out of it, and it uh, it made it into the book, which, uh, as I say, is a beautiful book. Mm. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, but it is an unusual way to write. I write a lot about domestic violence. My my second book is called Punch and Judy, and the whole book is about the craziness of falling in love, the passion and the desire and the blindness that new love can bring. Mm. And then it progresses and digresses into turbulent relationships and then gets into the point of, you know, being 
you know, almost master servant and being controlled and being the puppet on the end of strings by somebody trying to control your every move and then comes out of it. I always like to come out of the darker places into resilience and, you know, cutting, cutting free. And this poem is in that book as well. And I also just in the one poem tries to show that same journey in a relationship. This is the place that I'm at right now, but I, I am going to use this to come out in, into life and, you know, form a much stronger platform of resilience to then spring from. That was kind of what I was trying to project, both in a full book that I put together, but in this particular poem, I think it's the exact same journey. Right. I wondered about some of the imagery that, that you portrayed. Um, for instance, one of the things that got me very curious is this animal figure that you have in the middle of mm. the, the poem. I think it's one of those things that a lot of maybe even social issue nonprofits, charities do not address, which is what happened to the pets in an abusive relationship? Mm. Because they, yeah. they, they also suffer the abuse uh, in many ways. And I could, I could recognize this animal, even though you have put yourself or at least you, the character, into this animal. And I was wondering if you want to talk about it. And also, I, I'm curious to find out which animal you were depicting, because there are two possibilities in my mind, but of course, there could be a lot more. Mm, yeah, I do do this a, a lot with uh, sort of using characters to portray an image. And uh, the animal in this one is cat and mouse. Mm. I use cat and mouse a lot, actually. I've, I've written a few poems sort of moving with the cheese and you know, these kind of sort of images using cat and mouse in, in the uh, sort of uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. I started using cat and mouse even for working with kids because kids can just resonate straight away with, you know, animals and animal instinct and the imagery, imagery of animals. And I have a few around bullying that uh, I use in schools. I talk a fair bit in schools and universities to youths and the cat and mouse one resonates from a younger age, so I don't I don't do a lot with very young, but I do a lot of work mentoring kids from sort of, you know, entry into high school upwards, and it resonates a lot at that sort of um, age group. Mm. I used the mouse that the mouse in in theory would be the weaker character, you know, and it's in the hall, and you know, the, this cat is trying to tempt the character out with cheese, and you know, other characters from doing that, and I, I just love that it you can. You can get a message across using different types of images, but yeah, I I, I do love the cat and mouse one, and I, I use it heaps. <laughs> I use it a lot. Um, I also use other characters though. Um, I mentioned Punch and Judy is a one that I use a lot, which mm. is you know Victorian puppets that are very famous, and it was the one man puppet show, and you know Punch is the sort of you know um, domineering male character and Judy's the sort of the wife who is being sort of shouted at and it was it was in in its day in the Victorian era these two puppets were you know funny and it was satire and it was comedy and it was entertainment Mm -hmm. and today you know Punch um, in in that sort of theatre production and puppetry production you know he's he's abusive he's you know Mm -hmm. shouting and he's got a baton in his hand and he's sort of you know hitting his wife over the head with it when she's not pulling um, into line. Mm. And I use those two characters as well. And I I think the reason I do it is it allows me to be free Mm -hmm. with what I'm saying because it brings an element of fiction in. Mm -hmm. 
and it allows you to say what you want without you know people reading your work and it always being looked upon that you're talking about yourself or you're talking about a circumstance that you've been in and, and sometimes I am doing that in, in my uh, work mm-hmm. and it's things that have directly happened to me and sometimes it's not it's things that I've seen or it might have happened in my family or to a friend or it might be happening in society and I simply want to represent voices unspoken mm-hmm. you know and, and be that voice of of change and of generating conversation and generating awareness and, and fictional characters can, to me, break out of the boundaries that come with writing specifically about yourself and being in the spotlight on your own personal circumstances. So, yeah. so yeah, that that's one of the reasons I do it as well. Yeah. It, it really takes away the shackles and yeah. allows you to write with freedom and in any circumstance that you want to put pen to paper on. Right, right. So I'm really glad you brought up the idea of writing from observation rather than personal experiences. And I was wondering, given that this poem is in your second book, Punch and Judy, which focuses, I think, on domestic violence, as you said, why you decided to focus on that? I think when I started writing Punch and Judy, I more wanted to write about modern love. I like to write about current society. So I I started off writing about just relationships in general and it it sort of progressed from there because no relationship is perfect. Mm. At the start of writing Punch and Judy, I wanted to write about imperfect relationships Mm -hmm. and it sort of evolved very rapidly from there into the toughest relationships that people find themselves in. And the domestic violence sort of theme came through quite strongly early. Mm-hmm. And and I did because I always think back to childhood and the household that we were in then, it was volatile. My mum was always arguing with her husband mm-hmm. and it was noisy and there were things being broken and it was frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, you were sort of trying to close out the noise and uh, I always remember being quite afraid and it, it stuck with me from childhood that, you know, relationships were could could be like that. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally, as a result of that for my own self, really in adulthood wanted a relationship that was equal and that was, you know, filled with um, mutual respect. And mm-hmm. there wasn't that underlying violence and fear mm-hmm. in m- my own relationships. And I wanted that choice. And I intentionally sought that out in the partnership uh, that I have today. I've been married for more than two decades and and my husband is a really good man and uh, a really good father. And it's something that I intentionally wanted in life. Mm -hmm. But it isn't always that easy and it isn't always that sort of, you know, successful. Mm -hmm. And people end up in relationships that are, are not perfect and that can be super problematic Mm -hmm. for lots of reasons and it's not always easy to walk away Uh, and I know that from childhood my mom and my father and stepfather situation and and people get into the relationship and can't get out for a number of reasons or don't want to get out for a number of reasons whether it is just the the love overshadows the, the the bad parts or it's financial or there are children involved or there is nowhere to go there are so many reasons why people stay and I wanted to really explore that in uh, in Punch and Judy around, you, you know, the fact that relationships have so many dimensions mm-hmm. and it's not something that should be judged and whether people are in tricky relationships or not, 
there are not always the luxury of choices to be made there. So it sort of stemmed from there, I guess. And I also wanted to show courage and resilience too, in that if you are in a tricky relationship, whether you stay or whether you go, there is courage there every day in getting up each day and getting through life and doing whatever it takes to get through life. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to explore that a little bit as well, because there are a lot of brave women out there who are having to face things every day that are not good. And, you know, as well, the, the, other, the other part of me wanted to have this theme that was topical. It, it's a, domestic violence is a real current issue right at the forefront of society. And we can all do more, even if it's just talking about it and creating conversation and shining a spotlight on the issue. And the statistics are horrendous in Australia, too. And I'm always deeply perturbed by the violence that goes on. And I just wanted to speak out again. I, I, I tend to speak out about things that I think need the focus and need to be addressed. And if I feel like I have something to say. So it's a topic I care about. And I, I, I love trying to promote strength in women. Mm. You know, even when it might not be so obvious that it's there and that can be strength in the women that stay mm-hmm. in a domestic violence situation for their own very good reasons. Yeah, yeah. I think um, for people who are outside of those relationships and judging the mm. women who do stay, they don't necessarily try to understand why people make the decisions that they do. Mm. So it's, it's very important to, to explore that. And I think you do talk about that in your poem uh, with some of these uh, scenarios that you set up in each stanza. I wonder about this choice of beginning each stanza with I'm not afraid and then ending each stanza with of a better life. And how did you come to decide to use this format? I always like to say that my superpower is willpower. So I wanted to write this poem with a positive frame around it in what can be seen as a negative situation and topic so there's a you know very oppressive situation going on in this poem and it's easy to then write the poem in a way that is victimized and and that the oppression and the negativity of that is is the theme and I wanted to write about exactly the same situation but in a in a way that is resilient and strong and positive and demonstrates that the person on you know in this relationship is the stronger person and it is about I'm not afraid I don't care what you do to me I'm not afraid and I am going to find that better life out of this so it's ultimately it it was about positivity and resilience and willpower Mm. And, and I love doing that as well taking a tricky situation and bringing the contrasting side to it yeah, yeah. There are a lot of contrasts, starting from the very top of the poem, the idea of first the violent sh- physical strike described by the poem, and then um, before the ending of the stanza, using the same hand that struck the, the victim to holding their hand in public, this pretense and this, this dichotomy between public image and private reality. Absolutely. You know, relationships tend to start from a place of love and generally that love can still prevail through a relationship and it's still, you know, part of it is still there even if things can go horribly wrong. And it is sort of trying to represent that. It came, you know, there's a relationship in a place of love and there's a relationship in a place of 
public domain that is, you know, potentially a perfect picture relationship and then behind closed doors, that's not the case. So I just want to really ultimately challenge the status quo of what might be obvious on the surface and, and help people to not always take that at surface value, you know, and it's the what's beneath the surface and what's really going on and what's actually happening in a particular set of circumstances. Mm. Uh, I wanted to do that right from the offset. It, again, it's that contrast, isn't it? The contrast of love and um, challenges in the relationship. That was what I was trying to show. But domestic violence, that that is generally the case, isn't it? On the surface, people don't know what's going on. And it is occurring, sadly, in so many homes mm. where, you know, it's, it is behind closed doors and it's hidden and it's not visible to people out there in the in the world. So, so the more we can, you know, make it okay to talk about that and help bypass us to also, you know, be more aware and to reach out to people. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's not just those, are you okay questions. It's the, if you're not okay, you can talk, you know, and mm. I, I, I want to make it more the norm to talk about things that people don't necessarily want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the real hurdles to addressing domestic violence, or at least in the past decades, uh, recent past decades, is this idea that domestic violence is belongs to within the family unit is a family problem, therefore is not a public problem, and therefore the police cannot get involved. Now, fortunately, uh, not that it has been completely overcome, but at least it's less and less uh, acceptable to, obviously, it varies depending on the country or even geographical regions within one country, how acceptable that is in a part of life, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I think society now, it's sort of our time, isn't it, to speak out and on things that are not okay anymore in society and they've never been okay but you're right it's been more the silent it's not okay you know and now people are not prepared to be silent anymore in you know all kinds of movements whether it be you know me too or whether it be black lives matter or whether it be domestic violence prevention and awareness or you know mental health awareness there's so many different topics that we are now finding our voices in the world Mm. through different means the issue has always been there. It's been there for a thousand years. But today and today's society, I personally feel now is our time to address some of those things and to find our voices in whatever means we can. Mine is through poetry, but it can be through art. It can be through whatever it is, right. you know, that is your sort of passion and, and method. But, you know, I think it's okay now to speak out and we should be speaking out. Yeah, yeah, it's very important to make people aware that it is happening is happening in different situations and it is okay to talk about it um firstly and and also to seek help and and that we are here to help one another through various situations in this particular case domestic violence one of the things i wanted to ask you from what you're talking about before is you have said that your writing served some sort of a therapeutic outlet to deal with the negatives of life and also you know you writing focusing on domestic violence had something to do with 
what you've observed within both your own household and other households. So I, I was wondering, in writing this particular poem and other poems like it in Punch and Judy, have you found that it's helped you to tease out some of the underlying issues that you've you've had to deal with as a almost like a observer kind of um, being abuse as an observer in in some sense, you know, like an indirect abuse. Yeah, I um, definitely have found poetry to be my saviour, I guess, for being able to talk about things I otherwise wouldn't be able to find the words to say. Mm. I I struggled with so many aspects of my childhood for so many years. I I struggled with being able to deal with my father's death, and Mm. he he died at the age of 46 very suddenly, and it was a very unusual relationship there Mm. in the family with him and my mom and myself and my sister Mm. Uh, and I couldn't speak about that I couldn't speak really about you know my relationship with my mom I'm estranged from her I haven't spoken to her for more than a decade and that was through my own personal choice Mm. and again that's one of those things people can very quickly judge you on you know how could you possibly not speak to your your parent And my only parent, I have very deep reasons for that. And it took me many years, well into my 30s, to to take that pathway and to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, a a thousand reasons why I did that. And and in the past, I was not able to articulate any of the reasons why I had made some of those family choices. I, I couldn't even speak about childhood at all. I couldn't speak about school. I couldn't speak about being bullied at school. I couldn't speak about life in the home or about the death of my father or any of it, any of the childhood. It was like I never had a childhood. I, I had just built this wall around myself of protection and and I just couldn't articulate anything without the voice breaking or wanting to, you know, to break down or yeah. so I just closed it off. It was gone it it wasn't there. Yeah. And and then through poetry I found ways in verse to be able to say the things I couldn't say Uh, and now I can get them out I can express through words and through the vocal word as well I'm a big one for the open mic and the spoken word scene and the slam uh, the slam events Mm -hmm. and it's a way of getting out the words that I want to say and 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 much of it is based on personal you know experience and circumstance and and then it it has grown from there to not just be about me and my my, uh, background but to be about People who I, I get so many women now read not just women um, but people who reach out now that who have resonated with the work mm-hmm. and are sharing their experience and then it gives you new reason and new renewed vigor on why you want to continue to write about what 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 I write about yeah. um, and that's an amazing f- feeling that it is now helping other people you know and it's now getting uh, a, a amazing traction and I've got a huge following in the public world and I've got a lot, um, you know quite a nice viral following and, and it's an amazing really good feeling that you know you can touch just one person and help them in work mm-hmm. you know and in poetry it's snowballed it's taken on a life of its own at, at the mm-hmm. very beginning I, I absolutely wrote from a place of knowing you know when you write about the things that you know about and have been confronted with your own self but now now it's so much more than that and bigger than that and now I write with, I, I feel a greater purpose and I've found my purpose in life. Mm. And uh, it, it is to try and generate change and awareness. And I almost go back to what I opened with about the youths, because if we can make 
change in society today that resonates with our the youth generation. It's it's generational change. So, you know, my I've teenage kids and they're growing up at the heart of them knowing that you know so many things are not okay. Domestic violence isn't okay. It's not okay to bully at school. The pitfalls of cyberbullying and all the things that when we were kids they were just unspoken about. Right. No one spoke about bullying when I was a kid. Nobody. There was no channels to go to. There was no teacher to speak to. No parent really to you know turn to, right. and and now there are, there is there's a greater purpose I feel and that's how it's snowballing. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mm. I'm really glad that people find um, your your writing resonating for them and that it is helpful for them. I think as, as writers, as creatives, we create because we have to create, but we also feel when people do resonate with our work, there there is a sense of being heard. Being um, so, it's it's really nice too that you have built this following uh, through your hard work and through your writing, and and I found that uh, it was interesting that that what you said before regarding how your experience in childhood made you decide to find uh, an equal partner and that that you have been successful in that. Which again, congratulations! It's it's not easy to go from. An unstable domestic situation to get to one where it is stable and um, you have that uh, balance um, partnership, which is kind of as you saw in my poem is what this poem is about: getting or at least aiming for that. Um, yeah, exactly. It's a beautiful poem, uh, and your work touches many of the same topics. I think in childhood and then families and then. You know, uh, resilience piece. Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and that's why this is the poem that I sent you. Um, I actually wrote this not long after I read your poem, and and thinking about my own journeys and things I've experienced, and also things I've observed. So I'm going to read that now. We can talk about that afterwards. Great. Balanced point. Kind-hearted mothers. Want to introduce me to their boys, who never left their side, even as their own cyberns turned white, started families thinking they would become king, but left as babies came to pursue sycophants. Mama, you got me wrong. I'm not a monarchist. I tear down the arrogant to raise the humble and kind. I've met many an aristocratic brat slumming in their own filth, as if they were swimming in royal jelly dressed in eau de parfum, beckoning me to slurp it up or bathe in their moat, a fang-infested swamp. And I admit. I've taken dips, even been stuck in their bog, lured in by the lotus patch, let eye candy fogged over my instincts about the dangers beneath, and sank into the mud. But I've dragged myself out, mud caked and stunned. Now I'm battle weary and democratically bound, weighed down by screams of webbed. Lacerations, struggling to heal, but inching forward nonetheless. So keep your precious boys clutching your skirt by Mama's side. I'm well armored by scars against their offensive charms. As I part the crowded market of would-be court peddlers to advance toward the even scale. <laughs> It's so good. Yeah. 
I, I, I have read this poem since uh, we connected, I don't know how many times. Uh, and there's one line that I always am drawn to. There's many, there's amazing pieces right through, but the one line that always pops at me is, uh, I'm well armored by scars. Mm. Yeah. They're there, aren't they? The scars of life uh-huh. and give us a new, yeah, they do give you protection and life experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Where did this one stem from? Uh, is it really the same theme or is there personal experience in there as well? There are some definitely personal experiences. I do find that I tend to go into relationships where the scales are not balanced and I'm trying. It's very much a conscious effort. So having read your poem, it sort of made me think of my past relationships. And, you know, this year we have plenty of time to to do some of that. So (laughs) I've been thinking about that. And also I, I did run into a woman who sort of talked tangentially about her son and I was wondering if she was hinting at something and (laughs) so it the impetus sort of started with her and your poem amalgamation of of those things yeah I love the mother theme here yeah the thought of you know mamas trying to pass off their amazing children to others in you know perfect relationships that are not actually perfect at all and yeah Ultimately, this to me is about equality, though, isn't it? It is about that mutual respect and equality in life and in relationship and not feeling forced down a pathway through society, but about equality. Yeah, it definitely... Why I love it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, thank you. And it's also, it does uh, mention, and I think, uh, obviously, this is one particular poem, and it's not always the mother's fault, obviously, but uh, Mm. this is talking about one kind of uh, men who who are being protected by uh, women who are mothering them unnecessarily. Uh, I, I feel like, especially in thinking about the Me Too movement, I think of all the women that have protected the men who, and let them get away with the crap that they've gotten mm-hmm. away with and, and been able to hurt other women in the process and other people in the process. Uh, including their own families. So this is definitely a particular characterization and to think about roles as of mothers and also of women who are mothering men who do bad things. What is the result of that? Yeah, it's an amazing angle actually and it is almost like I put it into my taboo angles around the things that people don't see and the people who are bystanders and and potentially that is a woman and it is a mom or you know somebody at the side of what's happening can be contributing to a situation or passively observing a situation which also today is not necessarily okay Mm -hmm. and it's an angle that people don't speak about a lot the bystander and the part that that can play and actually you know adding fuel to a fire Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a lovely brave angle to take um that's not spoken about a lot around the bystanding woman (laughs) Yeah, I think I think it's very easy to just say, oh, okay, him, he's the bad actor. If we just get rid of him, then everything will be okay. When the fact that it is not. Yes, the person who's doing the wrongdoing, they obviously have a direct role and they have direct responsibility. But what about all the other people who allow this to continue, who allow this happen, especially going back to this uh, Me Too movement? There's been, you know, so many celebrities who have been coddled uh, 
uh, as if somehow they were like these vulnerable little doves that needed coddling when they are predators. And, and it's this coddling that has made them the kind of ferocious predators that they, they are. And it continues to happen in society. And I have even found myself doing something, excusing certain behaviors, uh, even when I run into it, even if I'm the victim of it. So it's, I, I think it's interesting to see how that plays out. And it's very important if we want to address something like Me Too, something like domestic violence, to understand the frameworks, also the scaffolding that is holding up these abusers. What are we doing as society to encourage them? Either by silence, tacit consent, or actual encouragement, because somehow we find, um, you know, whoever's colluding with these people are finding some kind of advantage in doing so. Yeah, it's 100%. Uh, right. But one of the things you do here as well in your poem, you, you also use imagery and it's different imagery per verse, which uh, I also love because it keeps the poem, you know, really fluid and fast as you go through it. But uh, I, I love the contrast, what you've done in in the second verse. You've got this monarchy and this aristocratic language used and the swimming in royal jelly is a brilliant line and, the you know, dressing yourself in the perfume and then it moves to the next verse of this bog, you know, this mm. dirty bog that you're stuck in and drowning in, you know, and coming out as a, you know, a muck-caked sort of figure. Mm. And and the contrast, again, I say contrast, that you're writing with amazing contrast, intentionally so, I'm guessing, because it's so beautifully done. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I, I do feel like if relationships were to be placed in a political realm, uh, then we're operating in, in a kingdom in an aristocratic world rather than a pure democracy where everyone is really equal. I think even in democratic countries, um, you know, like the U.S. or something, you still find within personal relationships this unequal distribution of power. There's a lot of lopsidedness. So you have to wonder about how much people really believe in this idea of democracy and of uh, power sharing, of balance and power. Mm. Yeah, that's the way you end it. It's the powerful end, isn't it? Advancing towards the even scale. Mm. It's got to be the goal for us all. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I think it depends on the person as well. Some people are okay with living in a different sort of power distribution uh, relationship, and that's fine for them. But, you know, like for people who are not happy about it but continue to find... Uh, ourselves in that situation what is happening what what do we do Uh, what can we do and also what can society do to help people who want a balanced power to move toward that Mm. yeah modern relationships (laughs) yeah yeah Mm. so so i think it was similar to your poem in in the sense of i find myself in this unhappy situation how do I get out of it how do I move away from it how does my past experience with all these scarring with all these lacerations with all this pain how does that help me move past that Mm. one of the things you do that's quite powerful here as well is you show that this I, I guess issue it is actually common the use of the phrase that you're, you know, trying to part that crowded market and the would-be called peddlers and, 
you know, it's, this is not one person experiencing this. This is actually still sadly too common. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a system that's in place and it, it's a very difficult fight and it's a long drawn out fight and it's not easy to get to the end goal of having a relationship with even power distribution, a true partnership. And so I don't, I don't even end the poem with, uh, you know, like a equal partnership, you know, like a line like that. I'm just mm. trying to reach yeah. the scale. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's and it, it is. It's still a a huge long journey ahead to get to that point in society in the world. In so many ways, not just in relationships. I guess in you know in fair pay and in uh, you know gender equity and all of these things it's everywhere yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying now more than ever to to raise awareness and but it's a long old journey ahead yeah it really is and and again i think one of the problems is because we're so focused on the people who and rightly so we're focused on the people who are doing perpetrating these wrong uh doings committing these wrongs at the same time we have to ask ourselves why are repeated offenders allowed to continue? Uh, mm. What is underneath the surface? And how can we address the issues underneath so that we do not prop up these uh, sort of kingly or despotic figures in both our personal and, and our public lives? Yeah, I think any situation, it's not one-dimensional, is it? I think that's what's sort of being explored here. It's not just the one, as you say, the one perpetrator or the one sole person contributing to the, you know, a problem. Mm -hmm. This is multidimensional and many areas of society that will have to evolve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To get to a better outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just wondering is it going to happen in my lifetime? I would like mm. it to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. You'd like to think so, but it, I'll think about this one a bit as well. And then you, you sort of tell yourself at least we've been in the generation that has sort of let the spark, you know. Yeah. You know, in history and in a thousand years, maybe this is the generation that is the speak out generation, you know, that turned things on its head, you know on their head and, and sort of made the stance to say it is not okay anymore yeah you know so and, and, and if I, I don't know if that's enough for us or if that's all we will get out of this lifetime but it, it, it it's better than I guess not being part of the you know the, the kicking off of a new era <laughs> yeah that's my silver lining we, we lit the spark yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we should reach for that ultimate goal, but also be realistic in our expectations. Mm, yeah, the more we can drive change in the youth age and in the younger generations, then that will flow through life. Mm. You know, yeah. what was okay when we were kids, you know, some of that still carries through life today. But what's okay with kids of today, you know, they're more aware, I think, in many areas of life now of what, what right, you know, what's right and wrong and what's expected now in today's world right. and yeah even the even even the kids today you know they're sort of I think 
more open about these topics. Uh, my, my, my best literary critiques are my teenagers. They're brutal. Mm. They read my work and I, I read out to them and then we have a good chat about a topic. And that's great, you know, yeah. to, to talk to kids, my own kids and other kids around things that just you, you couldn't say before. Yeah. And yeah, and they'll tell me, you know, that's not what's really happening in school or you know, actually, this is what's really happening. And this is how people are, you know, messaging ABC or whatever mm. it might be. So, yeah, yeah I, they're my sanity check. But, um, <laughs> I, I can resonate with a particular age group, that's for sure, that's <laughs> which is a great thing. Yeah, it is. It really is, because I think it, we definitely do need to look forward to the next generations. I mean, we need to work on our own <laughs> current issues uh, in this mm. generation as well, but also to build a better future given the experiences we've had. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with me today about a very important issue, especially since everybody has relationships and relationship di- uh, dynamics, whether it's romantic relationships or just relationships in the workplace, professional friendships, they all involve power dynamics. And I think uh, it's very important for all of us to learn to have healthy relationships in all uh, areas of life. Um, So thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you also. And I love the complementary ways our two poems are really driving that equality piece. It's, uh, It's been really great chatting through that. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us, A, if you have any favor of virtual open mics that you might recommend, and B, how people can follow you and read your wonderful work. Yeah, so uh, open mics, there are, I mean, they're everywhere right now, but I live in Australia, so I might mention one that I run in Australia, which is called Making Magic Happen Press Poetry Night. Uh, if anybody wants to hang out with the uh, Aussie poets, but we are very rapidly building up an international poetry community in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run that on the third Thursday of every month and it is online and we intend to remain online as well because Australia is pretty big and uh, it's too too hard to get everywhere uh, around the country. Yeah. Um, it's run by my publisher, uh, Making Magic Happen Press and myself and another lady. And it's very welcoming of all levels of poets, new new work, new poets, um, emerging poets and uh, and published poets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a good one. I would encourage people to join. And it's uh, advertised on Facebook. So if you just look up Making Magic Happen Press or MMH Press mm-hmm. uh, or uh, directly message me on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to find me is through my website. And then all of my social media links are on the web site so you can find me all in the one place and it is www.kellyvannelson so k-e-l-l-y-v-a-n-n-e-l-s-o-n.com kellyvannelson.com and yeah i'm on all the social channels instagram facebook twitter and uh, linkedin and i love connecting to the uh, writing community so look me up will do so um, I just want to go back to the magi- Making Magic Happen uh, open mic. For me and anybody else who's not on Facebook, how can we find out more information about that through your Instagram? 
Um, yeah, you can. You can directly message me on Instagram or through my Instagram page. Same through my website. My uh, email address is on the website. And uh, yeah, just send me a line and we can add you into the Zoom link if you are uh, not on Facebook. Okay. Uh, really, really easy. Just drop me a, a direct message in one of the social media platforms. It would be great to see some new poets. We absolutely love and welcome people with open arms from around the world and it's a good, fun community, and it's on for a couple of hours. Yeah, Thursday nights in Australia, but uh, yeah, whatever time it is, depending on where you are in the world, we'd love to have you join. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on uh, on the topics that we both seem to deeply care about in uh, in life. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.